A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. Alan Gleason, CEO and co-founder of Contento.io, which is a recently launched headless CMS specifically for B2B SaaS companies. Congratulations on that recent launch. And I'll have him clarify exactly what all of that means. Alan is also a veteran B2B SaaS CMO and VP of marketing, as well as an Oxford graduate, a very impressive resume. So glad that you could join me today, Alan. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me on, Adam. Really excited to talk about Headless, specifically for B2B SaaS marketers. We're operating in a pretty interesting time right now, right? The past couple of years have brought some paradigm shifts, especially with go-to-market and Headless, I think, is positioned perfectly. Let's start high level. I want to learn about you and Contento and kind of your journey to, to founding Contento. Sure. So let me start with Contento. So it's a Headless CMS, Adam. It's a kind of very technical term, but it's a fairly new category. I would say it's going probably seven, eight, ten years. I think one way to think about it is if you look at the ecosystem in terms of content management systems, right? There's probably been one that everybody you can ask will name. It's called WordPress. And now it's about 20 years old, right? So it's beginning to kind of be a little bit stale. Um you know, issues abound. So I think there's this transition into this new world, which is called headless. It's an admittedly, it's a very technical term, Adam, right? In theory, what it means is you decouple the front end and back end. Um, it's part of what's called the Jamstack ar architecture, which is very much around API-driven approach to building websites. What's different about it is the headless bit is essentially the content repository where you manage your content. And then in theory, you're feeding different heads, right? So different heads could be websites, mobile applications, billboards in Times Square, right? So it's got a whole mix of different use cases, but integral to it, I guess, is it's very developer-led, right? Tends to be developers that are kind of pushing this through. Contento, we're sort of late to the party in some respects, but what we've done is we've looked at the market and said, okay, the CMS landscape is really crowded, but actually they're all pretty much horizontal offerings, right? They don't take positions. They're not opinionated around the use case, and we've decided, well, let's go for it. Let's build a one that's specifically for B2B SaaS, which then gives us an opportunity to build in features that relate just to the needs of that audience. You spoke about the main functional benefit of Headless, which is kind of yeah. the decoupling, as you said, of the front and the back end. Can you take me through any other major benefits? Sure. Specifically for B2B SaaS marketers, what are the major benefits that they need to know about or, or that Contento is bringing them? It's a great question, right? So if, if you look at my background, I was a B2B SaaS marketing consultant for probably 15 years, Adam. So I've always been the guy and I've worked with probably 50 venture capital-backed B2B SaaS companies predominantly here in Europe, right? In the marketing function, there's almost been always a tension around the kind of monolithic or legacy CMSs that we would have used, like a, like a WordPress, where a bunch of issues will be cropping up in terms of 
usability for junior staff to manage and maintain content, security vulnerabilities, performance mm. issues, website bloat, sort of things like that. Um, specifically looking at the benefits for a marketing audience, this is where we think there's an interesting opportunity, right? So if you look at most of the headless CMS providers on the market, it's very technical. It's not clear from a marketing point of view, what are the mm -hmm. inherent benefits, right? You go to their websites, it talks about data lakes, web hooks, composable architecture, not the language that we as marketers can kind of readily understand. But when you break it down, it's a different approach to building websites, right? So some of the resultant benefits are speed and performance. So that's mm -hmm. one of the big things that a lot of the early adopters of this technology have moved because they're high traffic sites, Adam. They need high performance. They can't be doing a page load time of three or four seconds. And of course, you can argue it's not just a case of the CMS being, being a key point, but the reality is, is that a headless configuration enables you to typically get speeds under one second if you're sensible with how you build a page and you compress the images and so on. So speed is a really, really key benefit when you ask me what are the kind of key advantages. The second one that I'll talk about is it's very scalable. So for marketing, if you want to grow and you're looking at inbound and you want to grow more traffic, it's an inherently very scalable sort of solution. Another thing is because it's decoupled, your developers don't really have to worry about the content. They're just essentially consuming it via API. So they can choose their own kind of frameworks and tools to build the front end. So you can really build beautiful sites. So if you look at it, you're getting a beautiful site, highly performant, very scalable. And then the security is also strong, right? Because you're probably using best of breed enterprise um, components to, to put it together. You're not really worrying about things like plug-in updates, which can be problems with the likes of WordPress. And it also future-proofs your business. You're kind of not locked in because you're putting a few bits of Lego together to get the end result. So you can swap bits out. You can migrate into the future with a lot more confidence. You mentioned speed. And I think that the nice thing about Headless is there's two perspectives on speed. It's the website page load speed, the user experience, if you will. But it's also... Speed of process, faster production speeds, since marketing and engineering are more in alignment and working in lockstep, Headless allows this organizational alignment, if you will. So if you have like a really robust experimentation program, this is the best setup for you because you need to be able to build out and pump out that content. You're, you're absolutely right. So you're spot on, right? So, you know, one of the elements, and I didn't kind of give you the differentiator on Contento, but one of the elements that we're obsessed with is reducing that developer dependency. What often happens is at the start is reasonable. You're going to need a developer to set up your headless, right? It's kind of a technical setup, but it's fairly straightforward. There's lots of documentation. It's an easy thing to do. But what you want to try and break is to your point. You don't want marketing have to be constantly going to developers looking for time when you know the CTO or head of development wants them focused on building product, but they don't want to be constantly coming across to actually have to interfere with the website. So you're absolutely right. That's one of the beauties of it is that you can let marketing function on their own. Of course, they might need developer support every so often, but you can start of do things that you readily do with other CMSs, right, which would be duplicate pages and then manage the ability to, to change them yourself. But it is a key point. You do reduce that. Now, one of the things that content to that we feel is where we have an opportunity to be kind of distinctive is we still feel that a lot of the headless CMSs on the market are so developer centric, Adam, 
that once you pass it across to marketing, they can still struggle with maintaining and managing because the UI and UX is just not the most intuitive in most of the ones that we've looked at. So again, that's kind of a key differentiator for us. We're saying with Contento, you get the best of breed of headless in terms of the benefits we've just spoken about, but we've done two kind of things that are slightly different. We've really doubled down on the UI UX experience for those in the marketing function, because we want to break that developer dependency to your point. But we've also made the assumption in our instance that you're managing and building a B2B SaaS or technology site. By us taking that clear position, we can then look at the feature set and design to ensure that we're putting in the sort of features that you'd expect. And it's not a case of having them as plugins. They're very much integral to the product. So again, using WordPress as a kind of a counter argument, one of the attractions of them over the year was it was a horizontal offering, but you had all these plugins and themes that meant you could kind of customize it to your own experience. I guess we've now realized that's quite a vulnerable um, position because that ecosystem has lots of plugins that can be you know, needing updates or security vulnerabilities and sort of all those sort of problems. So for us, we were taking a very different approach. I'm laboring the point a little bit, but your opening argument was spot on. It does make the, the process more efficient as well. I'm curious what the, because like Headless, it's a simplifying uh, solution, but it's also a pretty complex solution. And I'm curious, what are the biggest misconceptions or misunderstandings around Headless CMS? for B2B SaaS marketers? It's a great question again, right? We have a yin and yang logo on our website. We have two very dominant personas, right? There's the developer's persona and the marketing persona. If I was in my marketing shoes, B2B SaaS, you know, you're a marketing manager. It's a very difficult world, right? There's a thousand things to do. You've got to be doing lead gen, attribution, paid acquisition, collateral. So, so the reality is, is that there's not a whole lot of understanding of all these range of options. So headless can be very intimidating for B2B SaaS marketers because they've heard of WordPress. They're probably happy with Webflow or Squarespace or Wix because they might be entry-level solutions that they're familiar with, which aren't very threatening. And, you know, it's a case of why would I even look at this whole area over here, which seems daunting and overwhelming. And that's, I guess, the key point is, it's not a journey that you go on alone. You, you go with your CTO or your tech lead for that initial point. And actually, the key is once it's set up, developers by and large prefer using a kind of a Jamstack architecture or they prefer using a headless type configuration because you know it enables them to do what they're best at doing, which is just consume via APIs and choose their own frameworks of which there's many different routes. The misconception is, it's just too complex for, for marketing. Mm -hmm. And what I would argue that's not the case. And that is part of the journey that we see because we think that misconception leads to marketers not really understanding it and not willing to invest the time in learning more about it. When should be the right time to start thinking about making the switch? One of the things that we're kind of diving into now with our data, we're using some business intelligence tools is looking at when do companies start to actually make the switch to headless based off of funding rounds. So like pre-seed, series A, B, C, D, all the way through. And I think we're starting to see the switch around series A or B, somewhere around there. Obviously, there's going to be some outliers and early adopters. What are you seeing? What, what questions should they be asking? What pain points should they be looking for? I think we discussed that a little bit already. 
But ultimately, when should they start thinking about making that switch? There's a mix of reasons. What you'll see is that a lot of the early adopters of headless have been more consumer brands, right? So when you look at the logos, it's a who's who list of kind of the the top brands that are out Mm. there. When it comes to B2B SaaS, there's one crucial thing that's quite important with SaaS companies is by fact, by dint of the fact that there's software, you will have a developer on the books that can help you because you do need a developer involved with the selection of the vendor and the setup, right? If you're just getting off the ground, headless is not the right rule at that point because you're probably better off on a more basic setup, lower costs, easier to do yourself. I think your point is right, is that Series A is often a really good point whereby you've got some traffic to the website, right? Volumes are increasing. You've just raised some finance, which means you can invest in the tech stack. You probably do a brand refresh or visual identity refresh. You're going to be probably doing an inbound marketing strategy, which means you will be creating more content. That's a key trigger point. Another key trigger point might be the hiring of a senior chief marketing officer, maybe your first CMO hire that wants to come in and realizes that the underlying stack just isn't good enough to get them to where they need to be. And then the third kind of driver, if it were, is just problems with the legacy systems in place. And again, I'll pick on WordPress. It's an easy one to pick on. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'll have people just getting really frustrated that they can't get the load of the page below two seconds, no matter what they do, or they're worried about security vulnerabilities, or they've got to have someone on retainer just in case something happens, or they've got all these plugins that no one seems to know anything about, and they're not really being kept up to date. And just the kind of constant you know, maintenance that goes with WordPress can reach a point where people say, right, enough is enough. We now need to look at transitioning off. And then headless becomes obviously a very attractive option. What does your buyer process look like? Are you finding that you are having to educate like a champion enablement where it's like, okay, here are your goals. Headless is able to touch upon all of these Budgets tighten in tough economies. CFOs getting involved a little more looking at the kind of return on investment and the total cost of ownership over a number of years, right? I guess what's different with us is there's a few different personas that are involved. So we've got three main personas. We've got the kind of CTO or the, the head of tech, right, who's usually a champion. They want to look at the docs. You know, they just want to get started in a free trial, right? They don't want to listen to anybody on the demo. They don't want to talk to people. They're not really worried mm-hmm. The marketing blurb, just let me see the docs and let me get stuck in. And agencies like WebStacks will be another persona. You guys represent a great route to market because, of course, you've got clients coming looking for the best route forward. The kind of KPIs for an agency is probably slightly different and sort of the incentives are slightly different. So for us, it's conveying to, to agencies that there's a recurring revenue stream that may not be possible with other solutions or that the learning curve is not that significant because, you know, Otherwise, agencies will go, hey, another CMS, not interested, right? So we've got some challenges around that. And then the third persona would be the CMO or chief marketing officer, which is the kind of probably less focused on the hard numbers, but are often going to be led by the CTO because they view it as a technical decision and they feel a little bit uncomfortable. So they're probably in isolation if you ask them, they mightn't pick a headless solution. They might let the, the web agency decide on the solution. So they're not really thinking metrics. But of course, I know some of our, our competitors have recently been producing reports that are now beginning to talk about the ROI on headless and giving some real hard numbers. We're too early in our journey to have that data. But I think they are getting to a point where they realize that a migration 
isn't a simple task. There's a bit of work bound up in it and you need to justify it in terms of data. And I think that's the that's the kind of next phase for companies like us. Clearly, some of our competitors are there already with really strong data points that they can then use for CFOs or whoever to justify the expense. I want to tee you up with kind of like the state of, of B2B SaaS uh, economic and behavioral reality. This is kind of what everybody's been talking about. Smaller and shrinking markets, hyper-competitive, especially if you're like the MarTech or the sales tech categories. Longer sales cycles, right? Bigger buyer groups. It's just harder to open wallets in general. And then you have this whole understanding of dark social and dark funnel and how, you know, every company, company is going to be a little bit different. But for the most part, there's this understanding that, that you know, 60 to 7% of the journey has already been completed before they land on your website. So given everything that we've spoken about now and the benefits that Headless provides, whether it's from a technology standpoint, process standpoint, people standpoint, I'm curious, what are the biggest issues that B2B SaaS marketing leadership really should be thinking about right now when it comes to go-to-market strategy? You do paint a pretty bleak picture, right? It, it is <laughs> no matter where you look at it, right? Because the barriers to entry are a lot lower. And of course... The unit economics of SaaS, if you get it right, are very attractive, which encourages market entrance. You can really learn from what competitors are doing to kind of help shape your own proposition, right? So I think there's a there's a bit of that, that it is just a very competitive landscape. I think wearing my European hat for a second, right, Adam, one of the things that I see is that often marketing is the neglected function, right, in the pre-Series A days, right? And by that I mean, right. you know, when you raise a seed or our pre-seed, right? That invariably goes into building the product, right? And, and you kind of, you're probably heavily weighing into developers more senior that you can get the better. And if you have any cash left at the end, that might be where the marketing person kind of comes in as a junior entry level. And then they're in a function that's got a thousand things going on. So the demands on them are overwhelming. So I think, you know, some things we've got wrong is, is just this not adequately resourcing the function in the early days and then having a kind of complete unrealistic set of expectations that marketing is going to drive huge numbers of leads when there's one or two people in the function and they're trying to do a whole lot of things. So I think that's one of the things we've got wrong. The other thing is that it is getting a little bit harder in some ways, right, for marketers, if you view them through the lens of just kind of acquisition and lead gen, right? So, you know, the world that I knew of 10 years ago was a much happier place on Google, where if you wrote a decent blog, you had a good chance of getting onto page one or two, whereas now you probably need to do a 2000 word blog that's SEO'd like crazy and you still mightn't get onto page 10, right? So there's definitely a shifting of the goalposts as it were. Some of the things I think we've got wrong is the fact that there is a huge number of players in the market. There's got to be probably more realistic expectations around growth rates, right? The economy is pretty tough. The cost of acquisition is going up. I think we need to be a little bit more conservative, dare I say, in our expectations around the levels of growth trajectories that you can really get in this market. I don't think there's going to be anybody that argues with this, at least any marketer that's listening to this. The website is the most important marketing asset that you own. We take it really seriously here, right? We think that the website is a never-ending project, if you will. It's always evolving. You should always be experimenting on it, learning, iterating, improving. Given that, you know, an argument can be made, I think, that the website can stretch across the entire customer journey, right? From acquisition, through activation, retention, expansion, evangelism. A prospect can be an evangelist without even 
interacting with the product if you have awesome content on the website. So coming from that angle, do you agree with that? Do you believe that the website should influence the entire I do, but, but what I would argue is that there's stakeholder management needed here. Yeah. My fear is, is that most CEOs or CFOs have a narrow view of marketing, probably around lead generation, right? And that's often, certainly in the probably, yeah, mostly VC-backed companies, right? It, it, you know, you're right. You should be able to spend time on retention and upselling and cross-selling and, and as you said evangelism but the reality is is that and it kind of comes back to this key point right is that I often find resourcing just isn't adequate enough in, in the marketing and the budget is, isn't big enough for the ever-growing list of things the marketing should be doing right and I think mm -hmm. that's the kind of challenge because you, you know you almost need significant media budget to, to do what you've just been talking about because like all those different elements you mentioned require somebody to do certain tasks and that takes time and there's some of the issues right it's around we do need to educate ceos that it's the marketing's remit expands beyond just legion but often the, the problem is is that's not how the world works right you're kind of one of your kpis is invariably mqls and sqls and you know they're the ones that consume a lot of the attention Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for taking me through that. Uh, last question here. You're the co-founder and, and CEO of the, the new Headless CMS. Where do you see or where do you wish to see websites? What is the future of B2B SaaS websites? When you kind of navigate to somebody's website and the blood drains from your face almost when you start looking around and you see how bad some of them are and you think, well, they don't even have conversion funnels set up here. Positioning isn't very clear. Or the value proposition isn't clear. So, so I think that there's a huge opportunity for, for websites to be um, just more beautifully designed, um, you know, and, and, and hyper fast um, and very secure. So some of the benefits set that we talked about earlier. I mean, I do have a little bit of concern around, you know, how AI might impact the, the whole thing, because, you know, one of the big playbooks for B2B SaaS over the last number of years, Adam, has been inbound marketing, right, which is all around content creation and you know, content distribution and, and an SEO. And, you know, I, I do fear that AI has kind of really dropped the bar on content creation. Quality mightn't be there, but it, it's just creating more noise. So so I guess that's the bit that I'm a little bit concerned. Um, but if you look at, you know, some of the sites I'm familiar with in the US, um, like Stripe or Intercom, which would be two B2B SaaS um, leaders, they're just beautifully designed sites, right? They're, they're really quick. They're beautifully designed as you scroll through it. It's pixel perfect design. And then you turn to the content and the content is really, really interesting. So I think they're the kind of the two that I would look up to as the kind of um, poster boys as it were. And actually both of those players are on Headless. They both would have been early adopters of Headless. They moved early. Um, and you, know, you can just see the benefits from their site, just beautiful design, really quick. And as I said, really strong in education. Beautifully said and a wonderful way to close out this discussion. Thank you so much for this, Alan. I've got a, just a few rapid fire questions for you here. But other than going headless, <laughs> what do you wish more B2B SaaS marketers would do more of? I think less. I think they need to do less, right? There's a temptation to try. And do <laughs> sure. I think they need to delegate more and, and shout harder when they need more resources, because I think that's the problem. They try and do everything and... Uh, they do a bad job at lots of things, right? Because you can't do everything. And uh, so do less, I think, is the, is the answer. Awesome. Wonderful answer. I completely agree. Who are your sources of inspiration? Who would you like listeners to know, know about? 
You know who I really like is Avanish. He's in the US. He's got Occam's Razor, which is just a delightful read. A newsletter comes out a couple of times a month. He's um, been at that for a long time. Yeah, That's yeah he's phenomenal. Time. He's left yeah, yeah. Google recently. He's just great. Um, so I think it's one of my few paid for newsletters. Um, look, Mark Suster used to be phenomenal um, from Upfront in California. Um, Both Sides of the Table is his blog. Uh, hasn't been as kind of prolific recently. I like Jason Calacanis. I think he's got some interesting guests on his uh, podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And Tom Tungus is another um, VC. Uh, and finally, David Scott in Boston, Matrix. So these are actually VCs, but they're really good at writing about B2B SaaS because I think it's just an ever-ending, fascinating topic, right? And they're deep, deep domain experts. So they're some of the ones that I, I like reading. Awesome. Thank you. Are you going to be in the States anytime soon? Any events that uh, listeners should know about that you're taking part of? Um, not right now. There's two big ones in Europe, um, Saster London. You'd be familiar with Jason Lemkin and Saster. So they're doing a London event in June. Cool. I'll be at that. And then Sastock is the big one in Dublin, Ireland. I think it's in October. I'll be at that. But I would be very optimistic I'll be in the US next year and most definitely for one of those events because, yeah, I'm, I'm long overdue a visit. We would be happy to have you. Last question. What's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you? I'm assuming right on LinkedIn. Yeah, just Alan Gleason and G-L-E-E-S-O-N or contento.io. They're the two best routes. Beautiful. Alan, thank you so much for joining me and nerding out on headless CMS. This is a topic that I know a little bit about, but not enough. And I appreciate you coming in on and dropping some awesome knowledge. And hopefully this isn't the last conversation that we have, but nonetheless, thank you for joining. Thank you so much, Adam. Really delighted to be on.